All right, our campaign is called The Life Revealed. Uh, We've been just walking through these few verses at the beginning of 1 John, his introduction, his opening to his letter, his epistle, uh, that reads a lot like a sermon. And the key phrase in these first few verses is the life revealed. Uh, we'll, We'll walk through it here. We've been going through it for a few weeks. So I'll review, for those of you who haven't been here with us or haven't been following along, I'll review briefly for those of you who have been here and who know exactly what I've been talking about. It's always a delicate balance, okay? Got to give you enough information so that you know where I'm at, but not too much if you've been here the whole time that you're bored. Okay, so 1 John 1, 1. Let's just read it together, and then we'll go back and kind of review a little bit of where we are. John writes, What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed, and we have seen it, and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What we have seen and heard we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. All right, so by way of review, what we've been talking about is this big idea that occurs here in verse 2, where John says that life was revealed, or the life was revealed, which is the title of our Advent campaign. So we talked about this in the first week, that the life revealed, as John is talking about here, grammatically, it can't just be the incarnate Christ, right? He has to be referring to something different. So what he's referring to is the gospel, most likely. He's referring to the gospel, the incarnate Christ, the meaning of the incarnate Christ and his death and resurrection. We talked about it a little bit last week, verifying that statement more. But just the the simple statement that Jesus is the life revealed is challenging to us in so many ways. The life. What is that? What else would we build our life on other than the way, the truth, the life and the gospel, the truth of Jesus' message about who he is, why he died and why he was raised from the dead? What that all means is the foundation of our life because it is the life, the eternal life that has been revealed. And then last week, we talked a little bit about why John is redundantly saying what I have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have observed, we have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Again, this is the connection to the Christmas piece, right? Like Jesus was incarnated. He came as a human, fully God, fully man. And Jesus lived here on earth. And the, God, the apostles, they touched him. They experienced him in the physical world. They heard him teach. He was physically here. And so their witness is credible, is what they're saying. So our faith is built on solid ground. So our faith, as founded on the truth of the gospel, is built on solid ground because it's built on real events of Jesus' death, his life, his teaching, his resurrection. These are events that were seen witnessed publicly by a lot of people and primarily his closest followers in the apostles. So it's built on solid ground, but it's not just those events. Those events aren't enough. Our faith in the fact that Jesus died on the cross, that's one thing to say that Jesus died on the cross, right? That's a physical statement of what happened. The theological statement is Jesus died on the cross for me, right? Jesus' death on the cross takes my sin upon himself, and he died in my place. Those are, those are spiritual theological statements that we must also believe. And that's what John is getting at when he says, what we have observed So he, as a member of the apostles, 
They haven't just seen Jesus physically with their eyes, but they have perceived, is the way that word can be translated as well, the truth, the theological meaning of Jesus, the gospel <laughs> that goes beyond just the physical events. Okay? So what he's saying is, we're, like, what I'm about to write is I'm a credible witness of this gospel. Not only Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, those physical events, but the true theology of it as well. Because in the church that John is writing to at the end of the first century, their people had left and abandoned the apostolic gospel already. And today, what we're going to talk about is why John is writing this. And this is one of the hardest parts of Bible study is often to like, determine what is the purpose of the author, right? Like, why are they saying this? John just tells us, so it's great. Right? <laughs> Makes my job really easy when he just tells us. He writes at the end of verse 3, so that, so he's declaring to them what he has seen and heard and what he has perceived, the truth of the gospel, so that you, his audience, the churches that he's writing to in which some people have abandoned the faith, you may have fellowship along with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we're just going to sit on this one phrase today and just talk about this. When we read a... Oh, I forget. Man, I'm so used to doing the like teaching part in the beginning, and then at the end I come back up and apply it, and today I'm throwing myself all off. It's wild. Okay, so we're doing it all together. We're doing it all together. The big idea of this text is, in the gospel, we share in fellowship with the church community and God. Okay, it's a simple statement that's like, ah, cool. Like Christians, we believe this forever. It's simple. It's, yeah, simple. But it's deeply profound. So what I want us to do is just meditate on this today. And the way John says it is so compelling. It's a deep, profound mystery that we get to share in fellowship with the church community and God. So let's tease this out a little bit, and hopefully it'll give some more depth and meaning to it as we do. Just saying that is kind of like, ah, cool, right? Like, move on. Nice point. But there's a lot to it. All right, so when John says, so that, here, if, you're a, if you like to dig deep into Bible texts, uh, always like, take note of these. When you see a so that or for this reason, because uh, again, he's giving you the purpose for what he's just said previously. So what John is doing here is he's indicating what follows is the reason for why he's declaring what he has seen and heard and perceived, as he says before, regarding the life revealed. And so, and his reason is, which we're going to unpack for the rest of today, but like in the devotional, I go into this in more detail, but I think it. It's so good. His, his reason for declaring the life revealed, for declaring the truth of the gospel to Christians, remember, this is to Christians that he's writing this, is so that they may have fellowship along with us. He's like, I'm, I'm going to say everything I'm about to say in this letter about the truth of the gospel, about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and all that that means, about God is light, God is love, like why we need to live this certain way. And he's going to say all of this so that the folks who believe in the gospel message will have fellowship with him, the apostolic community, all of the believers, and with the Father and his son, Jesus. And I think this checks our motives 
for how we talk to each other in the church. That's the direct application. I think it also applies in evangelism. But the direct application that John's talking about here is how do we talk to each other in the church? Remember last week we talked about declaring the gospel to one another and how we need to declare the truths of Scripture to each other constantly because we so easily forget throughout life circumstances. Or we just live as if they aren't true, right? As if they don't apply to me in various ways. And so we need to constantly be telling each other the truths of the gospel. And what's our motive? This checks our motives for that. John's motive is rooted in love. He just wants them to share fellowship with him. He wants them to share fellowship with the Father and the Son. Whereas so often our reasons for declaring the truth to each other in the gospel, I think, is often to prove that I'm right. <laughs> right? How many conversations have you been in with a fellow Christian where you just start getting defensive because they're challenging a, a theology or a question or something that you believe and you're... Your palms get all sweaty. I've experienced this many times, right? So <laughs> I'm checking myself here, too. But John's like, guys, I'm going to say this to you, the truth of this gospel to you, because I just want you to be in fellowship with us and with the Father. There's nothing I want more for you than this. It's not just about proving that you're right. That's not your deepest motive. Your deepest motive, that's selfish, right? Deepest motive is for them to share in fellowship with you and the Father and the Son. So that, he says, again, you may have fellowship. Fellowship. Fellowship's this real churchy word, right? That we use a lot. Um, <laughs> I, I asked the first service um, if there was... There are any other contexts in which you've like heard the word fellowship other than at church? Um, what's that? Yes. So Seth called me on that, right? Like Seth called me on it in front of everybody. So thanks, Daniel. You did the same thing, both services. Great. Um, I had forgotten about the fellowship of the ring. I love Lord of the Rings. I use this as an application all the time. But in my defense, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna get defensive here, guys. No. Um, <laughs> I'm thinking in terms of like how we talk about it today. That was written at the, in the middle of the 20th century. It's a long time ago. Uh, but somebody also reminded me that it's used as a medical term, right? It's like it fellowships in the medical industry. All right, but predominantly in our culture, it's not a super common word that we use. Growing up, it's a very churchy term. Uh, at the church that I grew up in, what happened in the lobby is fellowship, right? Uh, when we had a church potluck or lunch or dinner or something, we converted the gym. The gymnasium became the fellowship hall, right? And it happened like that, right? It's just a quick change of term, and the whole thing looks different, right? We call it <laughs> So it's this term that we use in the church a good bit. It, it, ha it occurs in Scripture a lot. But it's worth unpacking what it means. And I love, like, using this term because... It is kind of, largely, a uniquely Christian term today that we just don't use very often in other culture, in other spheres of culture, so that we can just like define it, and this is what it means, right? I don't have to do all of the work of like, this is what it means in this case, this is what it means, and then like clear, clearing things up for you, right? Fellowship, it means just close association involving mutual interests and sharing, okay? This close-knit association involving mutual interests and sharing but even in the first century, it was used much deeper than that. 
it was often used in the context of marriage. Right. So marriage, the two becoming one flesh, this term fellowship was often used to describe that type of relationship. It implies unity, it implies mutual interest and purpose, it implies an intimately bonded relationship and belonging to one another in community. And so what happens out in the lobby, <laughs> we call it fellowship, right? It could be, but it doesn't necessarily mean fellowship. Sharing a conversation about the Packers, playing later today, <laughs> it could, but not necessarily, right? Sharing a meal together at a church potluck in the fellowship hall, it might be genuine fellowship, but it might not be. Is it indicative of your shared purpose, your shared vision for life? Fellowship is centered fully around the gospel. This is what John is getting at here. This fellowship is centered around the gospel of Christ. And that means we share this common unity, this common purpose, this common vision, this belonging to one another as the church. And this fellowship that we share is deeper than friendship, which is why I like using the different term here, all right? Fellowship is something more meaningful than just friendship. It can include friendship, but it's deeper than friendship. Because again, this fellowship is centered fully around the gospel. We have other friendships that likely aren't centered around the gospel, <laughs> centered around another common interest, location, whatever. But fellowship implies this unity, not uniformity, <laughs> but this unity in the gospel. And the gospel of Jesus is what we're united around. It implies a common purpose, right? that our purpose is to share in fellowship with one another, with the Father. Our purpose is to glorify God forever. Our purpose is founded in the gospel, and we're working out these kingdom values together in community. It implies belonging to one another. This is huge. This is huge, especially in this culture that we live in now, where it tends to be so isolated, so individualistic, fellowship, fellowshipping along with us, as he says, belonging to one another is such a countercultural thing that we just don't find in many places. And we as the church need to represent that. So I'm getting ahead of myself. This is the first sphere that John says we are to have this type of fellowship, this type of relationship with. I don't know if I said it, but this fellowship, it's, it's this deep, mysterious union that we share together. So it's, it's far deeper, even than just like shared purpose, right? Spiritually, we have this union that we share one to another, that we're united together. And this is what John's getting at with saying, along with us. The first sphere that we share in this fellowship with within is in the gospel community. 
I've been reflecting a lot on why John says we all the time in these first four verses. Um, we talked about it a little bit last week, especially in the devotional. And what John is doing is, because elsewhere in 1 John, he'll just say, I am writing this to you. Even in chapter 2, he says, I'm writing this to you for this reason. But here in the first four verses, we are declaring this to you. We have seen, we have experienced. So what's he doing with that? Uh, he's certainly using it as a linguistic device to just link himself to the apostolic community, saying, like, me and the 12, like, we have experienced Jesus, we, have, we, we all saw him, we all touched him, we all heard him, so it's not just me that bears this authority, it's not like I just, like, went into a cave by myself and then came out with this new theology, right? He's like, no, all of us heard Jesus and saw him and touched him, so it's built on good, strong evidence, He's definitely doing that, like we talked about last week. But I think he's also being just intentionally vague. John does this a lot in his writing. He's just being intentionally vague to link himself also to all believers. So those who, and I'll support it as we go through this. I'll support it more in the devotional. But he's linking himself. So the we here, I think, is referring to himself, the, the apostles. And then everybody who believes in Jesus is also linked with the apostles, right? It's like this one big group powwow, okay? So it's like, it's all... Unity, connectivity, collective union together and in Christ, in this deep spiritual mystical union that we all share together. Okay, it's similar to what Paul describes as the body of Christ, right? So that's, I think, the best analogy that we can get to, get, get our, uh, to grasp this idea. It's like we all have hands, feet, we have a head, right? Like these different parts of us, we're all different, unique individual parts of it, like a hand, but we all belong to the collective whole of the body of Christ. So that's what he's getting at here, is this fellowship along with us is we all share in this collective identity now together in the body of Christ. Okay. Tracking with me. <laughs> so this, in the gospel, when we say we, say we share fellowship with the people of God. This means faith brings you faith in the gospel. The gospel as taught by the apostles in the first century that we have in the text of scripture, it doesn't just bring you into a group of friends. It brings you into this deep, mystical, theological, spiritual community that we share union with one another and with God. And we're not only connected to one another here, in the church, we're connected to one another, everybody who believes in Jesus and other denominations, and also in church history from all time. So we can say everybody who believed in Jesus in 325 AD, they are my brother, they are my sister, we are united together in the body of Christ. It gives us a history, it gives us a future. We can even say Abraham is our father, right? Because we are connected to the people of God through faith. And as Paul argues, it has always been through faith, right? So what this means is a few things. One, church is more than just a group gathering for friendship, right? It's different than your reading club, your open gym buddies, your whatever, Whatever other group you find yourself a part of, what's happening in the church community is a much deeper spiritual union that we share together, that we are one in the body of Christ. We're united.
And so what this means is that in the gospel, you have a people to belong to. You have a community. You have a people to belong to, the past. You have a future, as I said. You have people in the here and now that you belong to. And in a culture, in a world where we're so isolated, I heard that the UK appointed a, a minister of loneliness, right? Because there's what's been termed by psychologists an epidemic of loneliness happening in our world. And we as the church have this, not just friendship, not just connectivity, but this deep mystical union that we share together. This needs to be appreciated. We need to love this and cherish this. And church, we do it such a disservice when we make it so shallow. When we make church just about a place to come and be entertained on a Sunday or a place to hang out with friends, it's so much more than that. It's so much more. And it will require something of you which is the hard part for a lot of us in this individualistic culture that we live in. Belonging means that it requires time. It requires commitment. You can be totally free to do whatever you want and be totally isolated. That's what ultimate freedom means. But when you belong, and, and you know that that's not good for your soul. You've experienced, you've seen others experience that, perhaps. You've experienced tastes of it. But in the gospel, what we find is genuine belonging. It's not that it's going to be easier, but it's better because it's the way of Jesus. Jesus revealed this to be the best way. And notice that this is a result of believing in the gospel, that this is what just happens. There's no if about it. There's no if. The if is if you believe in the gospel message or not. But when you believe in the gospel message, then you are brought into this fellowship with community. The community of faith, here and now, the community of faith for all time. This, this is what we need. The lie is that I don't need this. I can live on my own apart from this and be fine. When we believe in the gospel, we're brought into fellowship with the people of God. And it's a beautiful truth. Even the more, the more beautiful truth is what follows, right? And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So we're brought into fellowship through the belief in the gospel with the community of faith who has believed in Jesus for all time, beginning with the apostles. And because of their link to the Father and the Son, we are then brought into fellowship with the Father and the Son in this chain connectivity to the Lord. And this is just so beautiful. It's worth meditating on. It's worth pondering the mystery of. The text that I keep coming back to on this topic is in Acts chapter 9, verse 4. When Paul, who was formerly known as Saul, 
when he encounters Christ, the risen Christ on the road to Damascus, and Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The obvious response is, I'm not persecuting you, I'm persecuting Christians. <laughs> right? I'm putting them in prison. I'm stoning them. I stoned Stephen, not you. <laughs> right? What are you talking about? But no, Jesus identifies with his people. So to say, you're persecuting me, Jesus says, when you persecute the church, you persecute me. <laughs> That's the type of connectivity that Christ has with you, church. If you're a believer in Jesus, this is how much Jesus identifies with you. It's not just that Jesus is just like a friend who <laughs> is out there. Sometimes is there, sometimes isn't. Jesus is with you so that Paul can say, I no longer live, but Christ lives within me in Galatians 2.20. This is this deep fellowship, this mystical union that we then share with God when we come into faith in Jesus. I don't understand it. I don't know how to explain it. So I'm calling it a mystical union. But it's something that must just be experienced. It has to just be experienced. Because there is just nothing better than it. If this, if this statement that we get to share in fellowship with God through the gospel. I wrote it very simply, I know, so maybe that's it. If that's the problem, whatever. Say it however you want. <laughs> but if this statement doesn't stir something in you that says, just, wow. I, you got to experience it. I don't know what else to tell you. <laughs> I cannot explain it in words. Other than you have to experience it, and when you do, nothing will compare. Nothing in all creation. There is no love. There's no even the closest relationships that we share, they get close, but they don't compare. There's nothing like being in fellowship with the God of the universe. And what breaks my heart, church, is that we view statements like this and we think of them as being so cliche. We're failing to see that the God of the universe, the God who spoke and created, the God whose word is so powerful, the God who created the majesty of the stars, the God who rose from the dead in Jesus, the God who calmed the storm. The God who brought fire down on Mount Carmel. That God wants to have fellowship with you. And he didn't have to. It's not like God needs us. He's God. He's fine. But just in his grace and his mercy and his love, he just wanted you to be with him and to experience his presence. And there is nothing more precious in this life. It's a little book called The Practice of the Presence of God that I just love. <laughs> it's written by a monk whose job was to just wash dishes in a monastery. <laughs> what a terrible job, right? <laughs> Brother Lawrence was his name. And... 
he, the whole book is just centered on the premise. He says in the book, he's like, if I were a preacher, I would preach on nothing else. <laughs> it's a little overstated because I'm called to preach the full counsel of God, Brother Lawrence. But um, <laughs> he said, this has been so transformational in my life that this is all that matters. And the beauty of it is, like, you can experience fellowship with God when you're washing dishes <laughs> in a monastery in France. <laughs> when you're doing the most trivial job. When you're worshiping God together in community, you can experience this. When you're with your family and somebody just says, says something where you, you just feel connected to God. Like yesterday on the way home, Savannah just pulled out the Bible on her phone and read a text. And, and oh my gosh, like it hit home. We weren't even talking about what the text would hit home so much, but like it just like floored me. Like earlier this week, I just, in my private devotional time, just struck with a word in scripture of. Mary in the Magnificat, saying, my soul magnifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. What a beautiful statement. Just listening to worship music, just connect with God in a way that, God, you are with me. What a beautiful mystery, what a beautiful truth that the God of the universe wants to have fellowship with you. And you can experience this fellowship at any time because of the spirit whom he's given you. There is nothing more precious in life. There's nothing that we should pursue more than the presence of God. And so often, church, we take it for granted and it breaks my heart because I want nothing more for you than for you to experience fellowship with God to align yourself with him, to know that he is with you, to abide in him, to cherish the presence of God with you in all phases of your life. If you're looking for a magic pill in life, this is it. <laughs> it's not a three-step solution. It's just sharing fellowship with God. Doesn't mean he's going to change all the circumstances that are causing you stress and anxiety in your life. But what it means is that you'll be at peace with him in the midst of it.